0: Got in Japan What's up, beaters? Welcome to yet another action-packed episode of Got Fitted Japan. I am your host, Johnny. And as you find folks know, Got Fitted Japan is about two dudes, booze, Japan, and the news. And this is episode number 537. And this is a very special episode because... My co-host, Tom, is not here. Oh, Tom, he's not here. Oh, God, what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get somebody in here just for this episode. Somebody great, somebody special, somebody amazing. And that person is my dear friend, Max Frenzel. Max, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Johnny. Always a pleasure talking to you.
0: Awesome, dude. Yeah, and usually this is kind of unusual, I mean, for a couple of different reasons, because first, we're talking on uh, Skype, and uh, second... uh, we're not at a nightclub <laughs>
1: yeah unfortunately not
0: yeah dude um yeah but
1: uh, ooh. ooh, it's 11 a.m but hey i mean it's locked down
0: it's locked down we're drinking it's 11 a.m you're drinking beer i'm jealous i'm drinking irish coffees i got my coffee with baileys and um
1: yeah. well i've got a coffee here as well so it's almost the same
0: we just don't have the technology man if we had the technology where I could like reach in there into my computer and grab your beer, and as I'm doing that, I would leave my bottle of Bailey's, then technology would be awesome. Maybe 2021. Maybe we'll have that. Come yep. on. Yep. <laughs> Somebody in Silicon Valley is making this technology right now where we can do the alcohol swap, but you can only swap for alcohol. That's it. Everything else you can't <laughs> do. It's only for booze because it's a
1: necessity. Someone should definitely be working on that.
0: Hmm. Indeed. Speaking of working man, you are the working man. Um, I met you at I think it was um, Tokyo Based conference. Actually, where
1: did we meet? That's that's very possible. Yep.
0: I'm almost positive it was there. It was uh was it? What's her name? Eureka. Yuka, Yuka, was, yeah, Yuka was her events that she was doing, and she was organizing these huge, amazing, like bass-heavy events, yeah. drum and bass, techno, um, kind of EDM, dubstep stuff, and um, yeah, her events were just incredible. I was live painting at these events, and you were, you were, you're dropping beats and stuff. You're doing like the uh, the Akari, what is
1: that? I don't think at the time we met, I was actually doing music already because I don't know how many years ago did we meet. It must have been, I don't know, four, three-ish years. I only started doing music in the last two years or so, actually. Uh, at the beginning, I was just like a random dude getting drunk at her events. So hmm. that's probably how we met.
0: <laughs> probably. Yeah, I miss her events. I hope she yeah, starts up. Yeah, they were some of the
1: best events in Tokyo. By uh, far. Hopefully she'll get back to them awesome
0: but yeah you were dropping beats and stuff what was that uh, process I, I can never get it like every time i talk to somebody they have a different way of calling it like the mm, the they totally. uh, they like finger tapping and shit which yeah, sounds kind of gross
1: you, you know the <laughs> the akai mpc yeah. that's kind of the, the main thing with the like 4x4 four four, uh, pads I'm actually using a different device, it's Native Instruments Maschine. It's a similar-ish thing, but, um, well, just slightly different process. But the thing is, I always feel weird when people call me a musician, I always have this kind of imposter syndrome because I'm kind of a tech guy and I know like how to work with algorithms and how to do that stuff. So by combining that with the music, I can make myself look and sound much more impressive than it actually is because no one else is doing the stuff I'm doing. Everyone thinks, oh, this guy's amazing, but I've got no clue what I'm doing really. So that's kind of my whole spiel.
0: Well, don't but tell me that. Dude, I've been <laughs> bragging about you for ages. Whenever you drop like a video on Instagram or are like rocking that machine, I'm like, dude, look at this guy's well, fingers. Okay. This it's guy's like finger banging. Look at half, this. No skill. So
1: <laughs> I've got the finger banging.
0: <laughs> You got the finger banging going on. No, man, but I mean, seriously, dude, I mean, it looks amazing. It sounds great and stuff. So you are definitely doing something. So I I, I think it's awesome. And I love the music that you're making, too, man. Fucking I love like I really
1: need to get back into that. Actually, I've not been doing too much music recently. I've not been producing anything the last, I don't know, six months, year or so, but just been playing live. But even that's kind of stopped right now. So I really need to get back into producing and hopefully also playing live. Hopefully at one of your events as well at some point.
0: Oh, definitely. Whenever you want, man. Just let me know. Let me know. A lot of bands have um, broken up and are on hiatus or whatever. Ah. So, yeah. uh, If you play music, I've got a space. (laughs) Sweet. Awesome. If my venue is still available. I mean, right now a lot of venues are shutting down and stuff. I don't know what the fuck they're going to do. I mean – it seems like what i know two venues that close i know two that say they're having serious problems but i don't know if that's just some kind of a plea to get money or mm. maybe they are having problems i don't know but um yeah hopefully hopefully in the next year all these like venues are still okay because fucking that's kind of like the charm yeah, of totally. like shinjuku and shibuya you know it's like they got Absolutely. some of like the
1: best nightclubs in the world you know right And so many tiny venues as well. I think that's what really makes Tokyo special. It's not a few big clubs. I mean, they're there as well. Mm -hmm. But a lot of my favorite clubs are really the tiny ones that fit like 40, 50 people.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Aoyama. Aoyama. (laughs) It's been a while since I've been there, obviously. Hachi. Hachi is like one of my favorite clubs. Same.
1: Absolutely. Actually, that might have even been the place where we met. There were a lot of base conferences at Hachi.
0: I was thinking probably there or probably... um, circus
1: uh that's also possible yeah
0: yeah yeah i love circus 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 is is great great
1: too but circus is more professional in a way i don't know if that's the right word but hachi is just this amazing kind of underground sort of really down-to-earth place but amazing music
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the best people perform there and some of the greatest events are there. And the cool thing is, right, when you have like a small little club in Tokyo, it's so much easier to talk to people and meet mm. people and yep. just kind of have totally. like a good time and stuff. When you get got these huge mega clubs um, like Ageha or Wom yeah. or whatever, yep. it's you know, it's kind of hard to talk to people. And a lot of people there are kind of superficial. They're there totally. just to, like pick up chicks or just to look exactly. cool. Exactly. You know, when you go to Hachi or Circus, it's like yep. people that love
1: music yeah, you know yeah and if they you wouldn't talk- know about the place if they wouldn't care about the music and they know who's playing and they know the people so that's a really it's a completely different vibe i used to love womb but like the last i don't know two-ish years or so it's really become one of those places where people just go to pick up girls it's kind of like roppongi now in shibuya
0: oh god yeah i've been saying that for a while yeah roppongi actually this is kind of weird my wife and I, um, we went to Roppongi to go to a steakhouse on a Thursday night. Um what was it? I think it was our 10-year anniversary or something. But it was oh, um, about maybe – what was it? Well, I should know it's our anniversary. It was uh, December. <laughs> December 12th. All right. So – we went and we went to Roppongi and it was crazy because we tried to get reservations at a steakhouse in Shibuya. and We just couldn't get any reservations. Everything mm. was all booked up. And we're like, oh, shit. Well, let's try Roppongi, you know, because it's yeah. kind of close to where we live. So anyway, we tried the steakhouse and they're like, yeah, sure. No problem. So we went to Roppongi and it's been a long time since I've been to Rapongi, mm. especially at night. And I went there and guess what, dude? Rapongi was a ghost town. All the mm. bars were empty. Mm-hmm. Every restaurant was like halfway filled. And I was just like, wait a second this is insane. And in December, there's still like tons and tons and tons of tourists, right? Like like billions of tourists everywhere. And I was like, holy shit. Roppongi has such a bad reputation where nobody wants to go there. Right. Everybody goes to Shibuya, which means now Roppongi is like this empty wasteland, Mm. which is kind of like a paradise. You know, we're walking by some of these bars and shit that are actually kind of cool looking bars and there's nobody in there. And I was like, Wait a second, is Rapongi now the secret cool place to go to? Is this Sid? Did I just find the diamond? Holy smokes! I've actually dude.
1: heard that from a couple of people now. Like, I also try to avoid it as much as possible, so I've not been in years probably, but I've heard people say recently it's actually changing. It's getting much better. And like, the shitty stuff is kind of spreading out to Shibuya and wherever, but like, Rapongi is really improving. There's some pretty cool places there now.
0: Yeah, it's just crazy. Oh, my God, yeah. So maybe that's going to be the new place where I start throwing, like, events. Hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, they have a lot of space. There's, like, right. a lot of, like, venues that are pretty much just yep. n- not not being used at all. So, I mean, nope. definitely they got to be cheap. So, yeah, that's awesome. So, hey, we should work together in the future, man. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. And so you make music, you perform, and you also make something else that I love.
1: <laughs> Bread. I do, I do.
0: <laughs> a lot of people are listening like, what is it? <laughs> bread dude you're a baker man and i've seen i've seen your bread on uh instagram and it looks fantastic man how how did you get into making bread like Uh, i mean a lot of people like our age they get into like i don't know building uh, old cars or something or they they get into like making like whiskey or beers or something you know home brews and all that shit but bread yeah bread well how did that happen
1: that's a really good question. I'm trying to think when I started doing that, uh, I can't actually remember. I've been doing that for many years, kind of on and off. Um, the first time I got properly into it, I mean, it wasn't the first time I did it, but I actually did my PhD thesis, well, I was writing my PhD thesis on a tiny Greek island because I thought I was living in London at the time, I thought I want to get away from the whole crap. So I rented a house on a tiny Greek island. And I actually even saved money compared to my shitty studio flat in London. But I was living there for, I think, two or three months and really remotely in the mountains. I thought, hmm, I've got so much time on my hands. I'm just here in this little house in the mountains. Why not start baking my own bread? And it was amazing. I started baking bread like almost every day. And I used the dough for making my own pizzas. And yeah, it was just a really nice process. Like. The result is beautiful and delicious, but even the process itself is amazing. It's, it's really art. and It's very creative. And it's also quite therapeutic. It's almost like meditation for me doing that. Um, but then, I mean, moving to Japan, you don't really have ovens here in most kitchens. So for many years, I stopped baking completely. But recently, I bought this... It's kind of a very fancy microwave, that's what it looks like, Um, but it's actually a surprisingly good oven. And yeah, about a year or so ago, I got really into baking again, because I mean, the bread you get in Japan is not bread, Um, what they call shokupan. It's, I don't know, it's fluffy, whatever, tasteless, old newspapers, I don't know. Um... I mean, there are some amazing bakeries here in Japan, but they're very rare and it's insanely expensive. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so I just really got back into it, and I started making my own sourdough starter, which itself is a really fascinating process, and it's just something very special. Like I, I suck; I can't even keep plants alive, but somehow I've managed to keep my sourdough starter alive for an entire year. So you have to feed it uh, like once a day if you keep it out of the fridge, once a week if it's in the fridge, um, and it just wonderful seeing that thing grow and evolve and it makes really damn delicious bread so yeah i'm excited to get you one of my loaves one of those days
0: yes name your price name the place i'll be there man hell yeah sweet I, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh the the process of this um sourdough like a long long time ago i read anthony bourdain's book uh mm. what was it? kitchen confidential oh, yeah, i remember a part in the book, like uh, he had this friend that he's working with that was like the bread expert of uh, New York. And he would keep on calling like uh, Anthony of all times in the night saying, feed the bitch, feed the bitch. Right. <laughs> and so basically, Anthony had to go to like the, the kitchen and do something. He had to add water or something yeah, to like this yeah. dough, the starter to keep it alive or something. And I know nothing about bread. And I thought yeah. that was like really interesting. I was like, what, you have to do that for bread? Bread is like a living creature. You have to feed it. Totally so wh- sourdough what is, is.
1: so basically the sourdough lives in a little glass jar in my fridge um once a week if it's in the fridge you have to feed it um you just pour away a lot of the stuff actually so you throw away a large portion of the starter itself you just leave a little bit and that kind of feeds the next generation and then you just add like the same amount of water and flour you mix it all up in a day or so the thing goes crazy bubbles up all over the place sometimes it even comes comes over the jar um it looks quite gross actually but it's also once you get to love it it's quite a nice process just watching it grow um but yeah that's then your active starter and it's like the day afterwards like after it bubbled up and settled down again then you can use it for baking or you just put it back in the fridge and again let it rest for a while and actually the funny thing is if you don't feed it quickly enough if it runs out of well new stuff it actually produces booze so i once came back from travelling and i had it for like two and a half weeks in the fridge without um feeding the thing and I looked at it it had this weird black layer of liquid on top and I thought fuck I ruined my starter is a mold or something but I I looked it up online so this stuff is called hooch and it's an alcohol that comes from fermenting well that stuff basically once it runs out of food it kind of self-destructs and produces that alcohol so (laughs) I didn't try drinking it I just poured it away Uh, I didn't want to go blind but yeah apparently that's how you make hooch
0: Hooch. Oh my god. Is that how they make it in prison?
1: I have no idea, (laughs) but I wouldn't be too surprised. I mean, it's a pretty simple process. You just (laughs) mix water and flour and let it stand for a couple of weeks.
0: Oh, my God. And then you add a little Kool-Aid to it, and there you go, man. You got prison hooch. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Holy smokes. That's great. Maybe that's like uh, the origin of beer, you know? Maybe like um, a million years ago, some guys were making bread, and I don't know, maybe they had to fight a battle or something. And then they came back like, oh, man, we fucked up the bread. Well, fucking I'm hungry. Why not? And then they got completely wasted, and thus, the beginning of beer. Yay!
1: Even when you feed it at a normal time, like after a week or so, when you smell it, it smells very boozy. So it's probably not too much alcohol. If you had enough of that stuff, you'd probably get a bit tipsy.
0: Oh, that's insane. That's great. I love bread so much more now. (laughs) I mean, I loved it before, but now I'm just like, (laughs) dude, booze bread. I'm in. (laughs) Booze bread. That's great. Next
1: time it happens, I'll save you some of my hooch as well.
0: Uh, I won't drink it, but Tom will. (laughs) My co-host, he'll drink anything. Oh, man. I've seen him drink almost anything, too. Oh, my God. I got stories. (laughs) Oh, man. That's great. Are you at Harajuku with some out-of-town friends or your family or significant others? Yeah! Do you want to chill and drink beer and eat sandwiches while your friends overpay for glitter unicorn socks? Yeah! And the flavor's going to make you complete. At Harry Sandwich Company. So come on down to Harry Sandwich Company in the heart of Harajuku, right off Takeshita Street. See you there! If you're gonna get your fade on, you gotta get your fade on in style. And That's why I use Ghost Town Palmade. Ghost Town Pomade is the number one badass palmade, and I practice what I preach. When I leave this house, if I'm not wearing a hat, if I'm not wearing a lid, I'm wearing Ghost Town Pomade in my hair. This stuff is amazing. It smells good, it looks good, and it feels good. Ghost Town Pomade. Badass pomade. And let me tell you one thing. It comes in a lid. That's pretty badass. This whole world is so nerfed up these days. Everything is plastic and pink, but not Ghost Town Pomade. This stuff is a man's pomade, and it is Hardcore. It's so hardcore, it's from Oakland, California. Oakland, California. That's right. Ghost Town Palmade. Get your fade on in
1: style. Proper. Mitsuya
0: Mitsya Liquors. Yo, what's up, faders? If you're in Asia, if you're in Japan, if you're in Tokyo, if you're in Asagaya, you better get down to... Mitsya Liquors. They have a sushi chef there. So get your sushi on, get your drink on, get your fade on, and come on down to Mitsia Liquors, located comfortably in Asagaya, about five-minute walk from the station. Mitsia Liquors. Hey, yo, what's up, bitters? Johnny here. You know I love booze and news, but I also love art. So come on down to thespiltink.com and check my art out. I've got tons of stuff there for you to check out. I've got paintings, I've got prints, I've got videos. And I tell you what, if you like a painting, I can probably sell it to you. And I tell you what, if I can't sell you that painting, I will definitely sell you a print. I've got prints of all my work. Prints are about 2,000 N each, about 20 bucks, but if you buy two, you get the third one for free. So come on down to thespiltink.com. Yo, and on top of that, I'm looking for commissioned work. But check out the Spilled Inks Etsy shop to find all sorts of other wild art that will save your soul and blow your mind. So go down to the show notes for a direct link to the Spilled Inks Etsy shop. Go there, shop away, support the show because we love you and we love art too. So faders, without further ado, enjoy the show. So, all right, you make beets, you make bread and you also make books. This is like the 3B podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is in 3B. Now, I'm very interested in your book that you just finished because I'm actually a reader. I, I read a lot, to be honest. Well, um, I don't know. I, I just picked it up from my mom and I just I just love getting a book, like same. a real solid book. I can't read things online. like Well, I mean, like for example, reading uh, things on a Kindle or an iPad or something. Once I like turn on an iPad and I start reading, after about like 20 minutes no. i start checking facebook and instagram or whatnot yeah. so it, it, it just can't do it so what i like to do is i like to have a real physical book like for example i've got this one right here i'll teach you to be rich didn't work Sweet. Uh, punk rock yeah i read that as well. My life is ramon good book right here i got a philip k dick one over there i got a little library rocking but um yeah I love Sweet. books. I'm exactly
1: the same actually. I love physical books and I also got it from my mom like from a very early age like our house was full with physical books and I absolutely loved them. And I think I read one ebook in my entire life and decided nope, that's not for me. I'll stick with the paper.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I like I like seeing the progress, you know?
1: Mm, totally. like all of a
0: sudden you put the book down and stuff and um you pick it up a couple of days later or something you look at it and you're like holy shit i'm on page no. 400 holy smokes that, that's awesome you know it's kind of like a it's sense also of beautiful accomplishment
1: seeing yeah totally and just seeing your library grow as well and just picking up a book from the shelf that you haven't read in a while like if you have an ebook you're not going to pick it up again but if it's there on the shelf and it's like oh wait i remember this this was awesome it's just completely different feeling and yeah. paper books are beautiful
0: aren't they and they aren't smell they? amazing Yeah, and I like the graphics, too. You Mm. know, I think a lot of books have great graphics. Like, for example, I mean, Little Kid Dick usually has really good graphics. Like this one right here. What is it? The Martian Time Slip? Uh, That was a pretty decent book. But that's a pretty cool cover, right? It is. It's kind of like a 1970s perspective of, like, the future. (laughs) (laughs) We're all going to be wearing mushroom helmets. (laughs) Oh, guys. It's it's like like a reference to Buck Rogers. (laughs) 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 So... Max, tell us about your book. Wait, first off, is this your first book?
1: This is my first book.
0: Oh, congratulations, man. That's awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Awesome. And so tell us about your book.
1: So the book is called Time Off, a practical guide to building your rest ethic and finding success without the stress. Um, Maybe before going into what it's about, I actually wrote the book together with a co-author John Fitch. He's based in Austin, Texas. And we also have the help, like you were talking about beautiful books, and I I really, really, I'm so happy how our book turned out. I'd say it's one of the most beautiful books ever published in kind of nonfiction, personal growth area, because our amazing illustrator, Maria Suki, I don't know if you know Maria, actually. She's done a lot of work for magazines here in Japan, but also bands, album covers. Um, She's done amazing murals in some offices. And I mean... Our listeners won't be able to uh, see this, but the book is full of absolutely beautiful illustrations and there's a lot of profiles in the book, so it's full of these beautiful profile drawings. And Maria has this wonderful style of kind of pencil sketches, it's a very light and very airy feeling, which really matches what the book is all about. And maybe that's a good point to actually talk about what it's about. So it's about the many different forms of time off and why it's actually really important to take time off more seriously. So, I mean, I am I consider myself quite a productive guy and I like to get shit done, but... A huge part of getting shit done for me, especially in creative things, is taking time off seriously. And busyness and productivity are absolutely not the same things. And often actually busyness stands in the way of productivity. And the book is really about that. It's split into many different deep dive chapters on those different aspects. So there's a chapter on travel, there's a chapter on play, a chapter on solitude, um, all these different areas. And then in between those are profiles of different people who found success with that particular form of time off. So it's their story and also one very practical advice per profile that readers can directly use in their own life. And yeah, we really hope to start a movement with this because I really think people need to start slowing down and just take their time off more seriously. And we have this concept, I mean, it's in the subtitle um, and we call it rest ethic like a lot of people think about their work ethic or at least have heard of the idea of work ethic. And that's great. You should have a good work ethic if you want to get stuff done. But we really believe that a rest ethic is just as important as the work ethic. So we actually like to use an example. And if you're up for that, we can do a little experiment here live on the show. I'm down. So Awesome. (laughs) So let's all take a very deep breath in and hold it. Just keep holding for a while, just a little bit, a little bit more, okay, let go. I mean, probably we could have all gone a little bit longer. But I'm sure that outbreath felt really, really amazing. And we like to think of work ethic as that inhale part and the rest ethic as the exhale part. I mean, so many people walk around their lives just breathing in, holding their breaths, but then kind of fading out from burnout almost. And I mean, we're here in Japan. I don't think it's worse anywhere in the world than it is here. I mean, so many people are on the brink of suffering from, I don't know, burnout and other work-related issues, right? I mean, karoshi is a thing here, death by overwork. So we really think to get stuff done, you also need that um, exhale part, that leisure part. And I mean, it's not just for i mean it it just makes you more happy person more it brings you joy in your life but it's also if you want to get stuff done if you want to be productive you need that and i mean i'm also working in ai i'm an ai researcher and work in startups around that ai is going to automate more and more stuff and the things that are going to be automated is all the busy work so if what you pride yourself in is the busy work you're doing well that sucks because you might want to rethink that. It's not going to be the most useful thing for a very, very long time. What's going to be more and more important in the future of work are creativity and empathy, right? Those human-to-human interaction, the things that humans are very good at and AI is still very very far from achieving if ever right ai is very narrow it's very good at doing tedious work at doing busy work at doing stuff that's very easily defined by rules and you can like figure out clear patterns but creativity is far outside i mean by definition in a way creativity is breaking the rules and finding stuff outside of the patterns and that really needs this downtime and this incubation so I think anyone who's working in the creative fields knows that a lot of the best ideas come when you're not really expecting it. They don't come when you're banging your head against a problem, right? They come when you're out on a walk or when you, I don't know, in a shower or whatever. Like you're an artist. Where do you get your inspiration from? I'm actually curious. Where are the moments where you feel, oh, now I had a new idea. Now I had a breakthrough.
0: It is so weird, man. I've been asked that question so many times. Um, sometimes things come to me in the shower I'm just assuming mm. that they come to me in the shower just because I'm in complete isolation you know well, like there's no. no sound other than the water there's nothing to see except for like white towels and stuff so it's basically yeah. just like isolation where your your mind is forced to yeah. uh, do something you know so it just comes up with ideas that baths sometimes it. Just things come to me. I've got this radar in my head that's always just like searching for stuff. And um, sometimes I come up with ideas on the train, I guess, if I got a Mm. long train ride. Um, Yeah, usually when I'm not really focused now that I think about it, you know, when I'm not really thinking about something. Like when I'm riding a bike, I'm usually listening to a podcast and just trying to stay alive. And so I don't usually come up with ideas then. But, uh, yeah, it's weird. There's no real rule when I come up with ideas, there's no like pattern or anything like that. They just the, the, happen. I
1: well, it seems like there are patterns from what you just said because I mean, there's two things you mentioned. One is when you're not thinking about something. So I don't want to get too technical here, but basically when you're at rest, and by rest I don't mean I don't know swiping on Tinder or clicking from one cat video to the next. I mean actually good rest way. I don't know, in nature, staring out the window, or meditating, or in the shower, or just whatever. Um, But your brain – like for a long time, scientists thought during rest, the brain actually just quiets down. But that's not true at all. It just switches to different areas of the brain, and those are now known as the default mode network. But basically, those are the areas that kind of pull out long-forgotten ideas or memories and connect them in different ways different ways. So it's really your subconscious gets super active when you're resting. And they also showed that for creative people, the suppression of the subconscious is less. So stupid ideas rise to the top more easily. But it means like If stupid ideas rise to the top more easily, some of them are actually genius, which your conscious mind might just be suppressing, right? So you have these sudden aha moments. I mean, some of them might not be great, but also there's those gems hidden in there, which then really lead to big breakthroughs. And the other thing you mentioned is a lot of them come to you in isolation. And that's another really big point. We have a chapter on solitude in the book, actually, and a lot of creatives and scientists found a lot of their inspiration in solitude. I'm blown away, dude. Right. And I think a lot of people are experiencing that right now. I mean, we're all sort of in forced time off in a way. And it's actually interesting because I think a lot of people are struggling. But I think those people who are struggling the most are those who don't really have like a meaningful leisure life. They might have time off, but it's full of this kind of distraction, like swiping on Tinder. You were talking before we started recording, you were talking about like the first week in lockdown you just spend on Netflix, right? I mean, that's (laughs) fun for a week. (laughs) But and booze, that's fun for a week. But after a while, this gets pretty boring and you feel just this emptiness in a way. Yeah. But I think those of us who have some creative projects to pour our energy into, even though it might feel like work, it is actually a form of time off as well, because it really brings meaning to our life. Um, Aristotle had this concept of noble leisure that we talk about in the book as well. And he he basically said rest is not the same as leisure, because rest always asks the question, rest for what? And usually the answer is to do more work. But leisure itself, in this noble way, he talked about it. It's defined purely for itself, because it's something that brings meaning to your life. And that can be anything. I mean, for us artists, making our art is really, really meaningful, right? It might look like work to other people, but it's totally time off for us, because even though we pour energy into it, it energizes us in the long term and it gives us meaning, right? That's true. So, And a lot of that does happen in solitude. So I think right now, people in lockdown who have some big project to work on, they really care about, is actually a really powerful time in a way. And you see, like, I don't know, we talked about this earlier as well. We're seeing so many amazing projects being done. Like people finally write that book, do that art they were planning for a long time, write that album, uh, make that business plan, whatever it is, right? So... Again, there's a reason we call this rest ethic. It's not an easy thing. Just because you suddenly have time off doesn't mean you're actually using it in the right way. It does need to be practiced because otherwise you just end up distracted and getting drunk on Netflix. Right? Um, but once you actually learn to cultivate that, it's a really, really powerful thing.
0: Oh wow, that's that's
1: awesome that's that's incredible um I think a lot
0: of people need this book in Japan and Japan Korea yeah, some of these totally. other countries maybe even cities like New York where I mean no. New York has that phrase new york minute because everybody's working so much where they just only have a minute to do something you know right so i mean yeah i think this book could be very very beneficial is it in english and japanese and german like what other languages is it in is it only in english right now or
1: right now it's only published in english um i mean it's out globally so you can buy it from amazon wherever you are um in the us and the uk you can probably even get it from your local bookstore i mean they won't have it in stock but you can order it from them Um, But globally, most major book retailers should have it. But right now it's only in English, but we hope if it's successful enough um, to actually get it get the license bought by international publishers. And especially Japan, we're very, very hopeful that we get it out here because A, it's so needed. And also, we have a pretty big network that could actually help us. So the very last profile in the book is actually interesting. It's on two Japanese work-life balance consultants. So they started that company, I don't know, 10 years ago already and they essentially go into big companies and teach them how to have a better work-life balance, right? Mm -hmm. And they have a very good network, and one of them is also a published author here, so we hope that she can maybe help us get the book published in Japan. But it's crazy, their story, like the simple things they have to teach people to do, like not replying to emails at 2 a.m. and teaching them, hey, it's okay to have an auto-reply saying, sorry, I'm gonna reply to you tomorrow morning when we come back to work. Those simple things, In Japan, make a huge, huge difference. People realize, whoa, I could do this. I didn't know I could do this and not reply to email in the middle of the night. Um, So it just shows you how much of a need there is for it here in Japan, right?
0: I think a book like yours would actually keep a lot of people alive in Japan.
1: totally. Totally.
0: Because, I mean, we all know about, you know, the suicide culture of people overworking or not making a deadline or something. So they don't want to embarrass the company. I I think like a lot of people in Japan should be reading this book. This is fantastic. You should definitely get it translated into Japanese for sure.
1: Um, definitely hope to get that.
0: Definitely. Absolutely. And uh, where did this idea come from? Like, how did you come up with this concept?
1: It's a pretty funny story, actually. Like, if you would have told me three years ago I would be publishing a book this week, I would have told you absolutely nuts. Um, (laughs) Especially at the club, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess I have to go back all the way to my PhD. I did my PhD in physics uh, at Imperial College in London, and... I was so insanely lucky by the supervisors I had, uh, David Jennings and Terry Rudolph, two of the most amazing guys I know. Like, they were good buddies of mine. I mean, they were my professors, but they were also really good buddies. I carried one of them drunk, uh, home drunk ones. Um And there's many of these stories. We have some psychedelic stories as well, but let's not go too <laughs> deep into all of that.
0: Let's not incriminate uh, ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> let's sell
1: the book. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, basically, I did my PhD. It was a three-year period, but... Except for, like, the final deadline of actually submitting my thesis and defending that, I could do whatever the fuck I wanted, right? Uh, I, I could disappear to a different country for a while. Actually, during that time was when I first came to Japan. And the administration in, at my university had no idea that I wasn't still in London. Like, I was here for over a year. And my professors were totally cool with it, but the admin at my university had no idea that I wasn't still based in London. So I had all this amazing freedom and I got a lot of shit done during that time. Um, but because I was so leisurely in a way. But then afterwards, I decided to leave academia and then went into AI. I joined an AI startup here in Tokyo. and. I mean, it felt great at the beginning, but over time, I just realized I'm feeling more and more busy, but at the same time, less and less productive and creative. I just kind of creeped up on me slowly. I didn't really notice it. But then I took a slow... Do you know the Seishun Chuhachikipu? Have you heard of that? It's this train ticket. It's uh, super cheap. You can use it for five days, non-consecutive, but only on like really slow local trains in all of Japan. So I went with that ticket through all of Tohoku, kind of the northern part of the main island. And I remember sitting in some like beautiful onsen town like in the middle of nowhere. I was basically alone in that ryokan, just looking out. And that's when it hit me like never in my life have I felt so busy and at the same time less productive. And yeah, basically, that's when I started writing about it, just to process that for myself. And I started posting those articles on Medium at the beginning. Not many people read it, just a bunch of friends, but it got more and more popular somehow. And thousands of people started reading it. And that's when my now co-author came across my articles as well. So he was doing a podcast and he's still doing a podcast, which is also called Time Off. And he just messaged me, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? I really like your articles and stuff. Um, That's how we connected. And I went on the podcast. We became good friends. And one day I found his email in my inbox. Hey, do you want to write a book together? And yeah, here we are a year and a half later having just published a book and the crazy thing is to this day we have not met in person yet what like, we called <laughs> each other i don't know two three times a week during that process and we're working constantly in the same google docs and everything like i know that guy better than most of my other close friends but to this day we have not met in person which is quite crazy
0: wow i guess that's uh how we rolled in 2020 huh totally <laughs> oh man that's insane um I think you did a lot of research. From what you told me, it seems mm-hmm. like you did an abundant amount of research for this no. book. How did you approach research?
1: Um, that's a good question. I mean, as you are, I'm really – I love reading. Like in the morning, I get up, I make a coffee, and then I sit down for an hour reading with a notebook um, before I turn on any computer, my phone, or anything. So I already had a lot of notes, and a lot of the book is built out of other books, really. And that's kind of what started the inspiration. And then once John and I started actually working on the book, the initial idea was to have it just based on profiles. So we were actually planning to do – I don't know if you know the um, Daily ha- daily Rituals, Daily Habits. Uh, I forget the exact name. It's a pretty famous book, but it's basically – I don't know, 100 people and just a very short thing on their daily habits and daily rituals. And we thought, let's do something similar maybe around the idea of time off. So let's have 50 historic profiles and 50 modern profiles of people who found success with time off um, and just do that. And we started making a little draft prototype. And I mean, both of us have worked in software. So we really like testing things. And we put it out to a bunch of test readers. And they really liked the idea, but they wanted to have a bit more kind of foundation around it a bit more depth, not just the profiles, but actually really facts and more, more flow and general narrative. So then we started throwing, playing a bit with the idea and we landed on well, what it is right now, which is really these deep dive chapters. Um, On specific aspects of time off with the profiles embedded in them and at the beginning there's a historic section So how the fuck did we actually end up forgetting about time off? Because if you look at ancient Greece and ancient Rome Those guys were masters of time off and masters of leisure I mean, that's also where Aristotle's noble leisure came from those guys aspired to not having to work if you had to work You were not successful basically, right? so how do we end up forgetting? That And how do we end up priding ourselves with busyness? Because right now, so many people pride themselves in being busy and like, that's what they need to feel accomplished, even though it's not actually achieving much. But, and there's also this sense of guilt that we all have with not working, right? it, it really like we basically talk about how that historically came about. And then at the end of the book, we look at the future of work and what we expect with AI and other things, how things are going to shift much more to creative work and why in the creative work and in this human to human work, um, time off is going to be super critical and a really key skill. So that's a very rough outline. And once we had that, I mean, we just reading a lot, digging into blogs, doing interviews. I mean, as I said, my co-author did the podcast, which was also really helpful because he had a lot of amazing guests um, and talking about exactly that topic. So there was a lot of really, really good material from that. And yeah, I just started building like that. And we had the first draft of the book ready, I think October last year. And I mean, it's my first book. So I thought, okay, first draft is ready. Basically, the book is done. (laughs) Uh, But Anyone who's done a book before knows the first draft, you may be at 10% of the final book. So we send it off to our editor and she completely ripped the thing apart. I mean, in the nicest possible way. Um, But yeah, we had about 100,000 words, I think, when we handed it off to her. And maybe 40,000 of those still exist. I mean, the book is now around 80,000 words, but so much of it was rewritten. So it feels like we went to her with this huge marble, and she actually beauty is hidden underneath and she told us kind of what to chisel away and how to reveal the nice stuff that's underneath and not totally border reader so honestly like our names are on the cover like my co-author and me and our illustrator but our editor ann maynard um she's done such a huge like her contribution to this is huge and it really made the book so much better. So that's a big part of the process.
0: Wow. Geez. Yeah. I I don't know the process of writing a book other than just sitting down and typing away, I guess. It seems like there's a lot to it. So what is your writing process? Like, did you like sit down and write like maybe one chapter every month or did you write like, Um, I don't know. I have no idea how to write a book. mm, I mean, all I know is like from what I learned from Misery.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm sure you didn't have a lady like busting your legs or anything, right?
1: <laughs> I did not, but I actually hated writing when I was a kid, like in school. If you would have told my teachers I'd be writing a book one day, they would say you crazy as well. So uh, yeah, it all just kind of weirdly happened. Um, but no, what's the process? I guess working with a co-author in this case was also really helpful because also the way the book is structured the profiles are fairly nice and self-contained short sections. I mean, in the end, we had to tie it all together. But in the initial draft, they were all very self-contained. So basically, we started doing the research and we both like split the profiles up between us and we did the research for one profile. And once we had a bunch of profile, all our research notes together, then each of us would pick a few profiles and just write that down. And like, I usually work in cafes uh, or out in nature. So I just go out there, sit there for two hours, put on some music. And once I have the notes there and once I get into the flow, I can do a pretty solid job in like a two hour session. Okay, cool. Um and then i mean we did all of it basically in google docs which is beautiful for collaborative working on well text or any document really and once i would have a profile ready i would share it in google docs and then my co-author would go in and make editing suggestions and leave comments and that kind of stuff so it's actually really nice having this co-author relationship there because it's kind of got the editing baked into it and if someone else Read your stuff straight away scrap and wouldn't refine it from there Um, So that's kind of the process for the profiles. They were probably the easier part Uh, The deep dives are a bit more tricky. We also split them up to some extent um, One person did the travel one one person did the solitude one whatever, but they got changed so much later on in the editing process um, that Yeah, it all got mixed up a lot. And I mean, we were constantly in each other's work and refining things and improving things and commenting. So you really can't tell anymore who wrote what because it's really the both the two of us like our editor had this joking uh, thing so I mean I'm Max my co is John and she basically just calls us Jacks because we were writing the thing together and she couldn't really <laughs> distinguish who wrote what
0: that's good that's good I, actually that was going to be my next question since there's two authors working on one book would like there yeah. be two different writing styles but I guess using your author I'm not your author but your editor your editor kind of like smooth that out so it kind of had a really solid flow right
1: Absolutely. Also, because we were constantly like once one of us had written something, the other one went straight in and edited and left comments like already before it went to our editor. It was quite mixed. And I think we have really nice mix of styles because I mean, I I come from a more academic background. Mm-hmm. So I have that. Uh, my co-author has much more of a storytelling background. He actually studied documentary filmmaking. So he really knows how to well tell stories and build a narrative. And I think that mix of those two things actually led to a really, really good combination. And it really made the book, well, it, I mean, of course I'm going to say that, but it really made it into an amazing book in the end. And also just the work of our illustrator, like it's really hard to overestimate how much of a difference she's made to the book she made amazing suggestions so we got her involved pretty early in the process as like part of the core team Mm -hmm. and her art direction made a lot of difference to it as well and it just made the book absolutely beautiful so it's available as an ebook but also as a paperback i mean we already talked with both paper book fans but i really encourage people to get the paperback just because it's so beautiful and that doesn't really transfer too well to the ebook i mean it's still a nice ebook but the paperback is more beautiful and i'm not just saying that i'm actually making less money on the paperback than on the kindle because the really? printing is quite expensive yeah yeah it's crazy like the printing uh, the, the the paperback is almost double the price of the ebook but we're making more money on the ebook just because of printing and shipping costs
0: Holy smokes. Yeah, I didn't know <clears throat> I didn't know any any I don't know anything about that kind of business. Like I, I didn't published until
1: a year ago. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I published my own book. Like I made a a self uh, kind of like almost like an art zine a long time ago. But I just oh, sold sweet. them at like shows. I sold them online and stuff. Ah, okay. right, and right, right. Um, <clears throat> it was completely DIY independent. I mean Pretty much how I learned about like making my book was basically how, I guess, Minor Threat made their music and sold their music in the 80s, I guess. And my mm-hmm. book was interesting because it has no words whatsoever. No. <laughs> yeah, basically. The whole concept of my book was this. I made these images, right? And every image told a story. But the thing was, I know what the story was. But the whole point was, you write your own story for every image. So I had 20 images, right, put together in this book. I think I got a copy over here. Where the fuck is that? Yeah. Oh, this is going to be awesome for all the audio people. But anyway, <laughs> it's just oh, let me just turn off this.
1: You have to narrate it.
0: Oh, yeah. No, welcome to Got Faded Japan. We are so professional. But uh, <laughs> here we go. So now you can check this out. But anyway, so... Here's the book right here. It's kind of like sweet. a comic book.
1: There are words on it.
0: Well, you know, you open it up, there's like an introduction of how to use it. But then you've got like an image right here, and then all the lines are blank.
1: Ah, uh, sweet.
0: Right? So you write your own story for everyone. Oh, image. that's cool.
1: I like that. So it's kind of the, the images are the prompts for people to actually write their words.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, awesome. so every every two pages could be a, a different story. So the no. whole idea was for people that uh, wanted to be writers, but they didn't have any idea of what to write mm. about. They could just pick this up and be like, okay, I'm going to write a story about this picture. That's or, awesome. Maybe somebody is a poet or maybe somebody's like a right. songwriter and they just need ideas no. or whatever. They just come here and they just write their own stories or whatever. And I think I sold about maybe 50 of them. Sweet. So, uh, yeah, now I have like 20 left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> dude, talking about... Dust ideas uh you you're a reader as well do you know austin cleon's work no oh you have to check him out he did did these wonderful wait let me actually again wonderful for all the listeners because they can't see shit but he did these wonderful little books i think his first one was steal like an artist and he did okay. show your work and i think his latest is the one is keep going and they're these absolutely wonderful books with like really i mean there's little text in there but it's super inspirational and beautiful drawings very very simplistic style Mm -hmm. but it's amazing work and his stuff on instagram is also amazing austin cleo and like i think during the lockdown he did 100 blind self portraits so he drew himself uh blindfolded basically and he did 100 of those and they're amazing and he originally became well Famous, maybe not, but like that's what he started his career out in as an artist was doing this cutout poetry. So he would take newspapers and cut out individual words and then stuck stick them together or do blackouts. So he would take a whole page and basically take a big marker, blackout most of the words, but the ones that were left on there would be a poem. So his work is really amazing. I'm sure you'd love it.
0: Well, wow, that's similar to uh, William S. Burroughs. He used to do a lot of that, what's call it, uh, juxtaposition of is that the word (laughs) I need more coffee but he used to do that kind of uh, technique to make his uh, stories or whatnot. but that's cool that's cool I'll definitely check him out Um, Mm. I do have one last question about the book if somebody let's say I think everybody has one good story in them every single person Mm. that's alive has at least one good story that's in their mind about their life or just something that they've done or whatever but everybody has one story and if they want to approach writing what would you recommend to them
1: uh, that's a really tricky question. Now you're putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs>
0: Sorry.
1: Hey, come no, on no, 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 no worries at all. Um, I mean, it's kind of the same with time off. A lot of people don't realize how critical time off is until they actually take some time away from things and really reflect on stuff. So I think also with the stories – take some time set some time aside and really just sit down with a notebook or something and think about like what do you think are your stories right uh, probably the first few things that come to mind are actually not the ones that are going to be the most interesting only once you start actually sitting down for a little bit and away from those distractions probably the really good stuff will come up and maybe actually probably the good stuff if you really dare to do it, it's the stuff that feels a bit uncomfortable, right? I think most of the good stories are the ones that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's not the shallow, superficial stuff, but where well, you feel a little bit of resistance. I mean, another great book, I think, what's the guy's name? Stephen Pressfield. He wrote the, 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 the art, no, the war of art. That's the way of the name of the book. And he talks a lot about this resistance. Like if you doing anything creative, There's always going to be that resistance telling you not to do it. You don't want to go there because you're going to expose yourself. You're going to be uncomfortable. But often that's exactly where you should be going. And I think that's also where the best stories lie. So maybe just take some time out, sit down with a notebook and let this kind of uncomfortableness and resistance guide you in the right direction.
0: Dude, I love that. All right, let's end right there. That's beautiful. <laughs> that is church baiters. That's it, Sweet. man. Oh, dude, Max, awesome. My beer
1: is almost empty, so that's perfect timing.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, my God, so is my coffee. I got a little I got a little bit left. Here we go. Mmm. God, Bailey's. It goes so well with coffee. Oh, my God, it's so delicious. Oh, my God. So, okay, one more time. How can people get your book? And I'm actually, once, once we're finished with this, I'm going to buy your book. Can I get it on awesome. uh, Amazon in Japan?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: 100% perfect. You okay. probably
1: might have it tomorrow because Amazon is amazing. They print the books in a day and ship them in a the day. It's incredible.
0: That is incredible. That's fantastic. It is. All right, yeah. dude, I got something so- to do.
1: Absolutely. So the title of the book, once again, it's Time Off, a practical guide to building your rest ethic and finding success without distress by John Fitch and me, Max Frenzel, and the illustrations are done by Maria Suzuki. So yeah, you can find it anywhere on Amazon, also all the other big uh, book retailers. You can probably find it in your local bookstore. If you ask them, they can order it for you. Uh, You can also find it on our website, timeoffbook.com, my website, maxfrenzel.com. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. Actually, one funny remark. It might not be that way anymore once people actually look for it. But Amazon had some weird issue in their system, Amazon.com, where they pulled the wrong metadata. So for a while, we were listed as a Tokyo travel guide and as an Austin, Texas travel guide. We called them last week and uh, told them, hey, we're not a travel guide. And they said, yeah, okay, we're gonna remove those categories and fix it. But then actually uh, some system error occurred. They, they, they managed to remove the Texas travel guide, but somehow the Tokyo one got stuck there in the system. And because of that, now the book launched and we just made it to number one bestseller list in Tokyo travel guides. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we called them again. They said, okay, sorry. There's actually some error happening with the Tokyo travel Still number one bestseller. That's correct. But we have our tech team working on removing you from that category. So yeah, somehow we're number one Tokyo travel guide right now.
0: Hey man, being number one's pretty good. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome, dude. Max, that's great. Um, okay. I'm definitely going to pick up your book as soon as we, awesome. uh, as soon as I finish. Get with a this. paperback. Paper? Oh, 100%. Oh, God, yeah. God, yeah. Faders, you know what to do. Um, In the show notes, I'm going to have like a list of links. Pop, pop, wait, which link is best for you? Which link is like uh, where you get the most amount of money?
1: Um honestly i mean the most amount of money uh we would get from kindle but actually i would recommend people don't get the kindle version because just a paperback is so incredibly beautiful i mean the difference is not huge for us so yeah please buy a paperback um, and get it from anywhere yeah amazon is good because that also helps us in the algorithms moving up and actually also another thing like we really want to start a movement with this. Uh, we really want this to catch on. So I'd be super happy to hear about people's stories like when did you find success by taking time off and when did you realize that busy is not the way of going forward? And also, if you pick up a copy of the book, just share an image online and tag us or anything helps really, really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Faders, you know what to do, man. Go down into the show notes, pick up this book. Amazon, you can trust Amazon. You're gonna get it in a couple of days. Even if it takes a week, if you're like in America where it's taking a little bit longer to get your stuff or whatever, you're gonna have some gold in your hands.
1: Absolutely. Definitely
0: get this, man. That's fantastic. And Share tell- something
1: on Instagram, tag me, MF Frenzel. You can also find my bread and my music there, actually. So nah. <laughs> do that. And thanks, guys. <laughs> oh,
0: I'm sorry, you can't get the bread, but you can get the book.
1: <laughs> not yet, not yet. Maybe I'll do shipping of that as well at some point.
0: Oh my God. Well, I mean, if it's booze bread, it might be a little bit illegal, but uh, (laughs) hey, I'm cool with that, man. I've been in Japan. That's how we roll. Oh, man. Max, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Tony. Oh, God. This is church for real. Looking forward to to actually
1: grab a drink with you soon.
0: Oh, God, I hope so. Definitely, definitely, man. I'll see you at the bar. Faders, you know what to do. Go down the show notes. Check out this book. Buy this book. Share this book. This is church. And um, on another note... Definitely go down to our Patreon page. We do have a Patreon page. We've got tons of content up there. We upload content almost every day videos, photos, extra interviews, and shows, and extra stories and stuff. There's tons of stuff there. Go up there and support the show. It's $5 a month. That's basically like buying us one beer every month. And if you come to Japan and we see you in Japan, we're gonna buy you not one beer, but we're gonna buy you a lot of beers at the bar. So definitely scratch our back and we'll scratch your back too. And if you can't do that, I know money is tight. But you can also go on to iTunes and give us a five-star review and write something groovy. That definitely helps us out, too. And, of course, we're on Instagram and Facebook. So, Faders, you know what to do. You got some missions. You got some free time. I mean, we're all in, like, what, solitary confinement, lockdown, whatever. So, uh yeah, do that for us. And we got you back. Vaders, thank you very much for tuning into this special episode of Got in Japan. Max, once again, dude, fucking mad respect. And we'll catch you next week. Oh, no, wait. We're going to catch you in two days. We'll see you on Friday. <laughs> Peace. My old brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. will you eat till mom finds out, buddy. I've
1: got a government job to
0: abuse and
1: a lonely wife to fuck.
0: As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> Oh, the pressure! I can't take it. I can't take it. I can't stand to it. You sure I should do this, man? We're going freaking We came, we saw, we kicked his ass. Your move, creep. Oh, man, I will never forgive your ass for this shit. This is some fucked up,
1: repugnant shit. Yeah, fuck it dude.
0: Let's go bold.